from MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Good morning, I'm Malcolm White. I'm here with Carol Puckett. For the next hour, we will be your guides through Mississippi's great culinary landscape. We talked to Julian Rankin from the Walter Anderson Museum about a special dinner. And in the studio, we have food writer extraordinaire Sherry Lucas to talk about pickling, preserving, and canning. All the good things we do to keep the taste of summer in our kitchens, year in and year out. Let us know what's going on in your kitchen, your pantry. Give us a call, one 877 mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or shoot us an email to food at mpbonline.org. This is Deep South Dining from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good Monday morning to each and every one of you. Welcome to Deep South Dining. We're live here at MPB Think Radio and on the phone for the first time in our short history, Carol Puckett. What's going on, Carol? Good morning, Malcolm. Um, I am calling you from Aspen, Colorado, high up on the mountain today. You're Rocky Mountain High, are you? I am Rocky Mountain High and rocking it. <laughs> How's the well, weather? The weather, Malcolm, it's 55 degrees this morning. How's the weather there? Well, for us, it's cool. I don't know what the temperature is. Java may know, but it's cooler than, uh, you know, a typical late July morning. We had a little rain. Well, we had a lot of rain. So things have cooled off a bit, but it's not exactly Rocky Mountain weather. Well, um, I know it's not. I've been checking up with you on Facebook this weekend, and I saw some homemade marinara. Yeah. It looks like you were doing some pasta and marinara over the weekend. That's And you called it Arinder homemade <laughs> marinara. I'm intrigued. Well, Robert Arinder is a tomato grower here in the Jackson area. He and his family uh, grow heirloom tomatoes. And uh, I was at the farmer's market over uh, over the weekend, actually on Saturday morning. And as always, I go by and talk to Robert and, and get a bag full of his tomatoes. And he, I bought so many that when I got home, I just decided I would whip up a marinara with them. So I, I, I cut up a bunch of these heirlooms with some garlic and onions and peppers uh, and I just cooked it for hours and hours until it uh, became a marinara sauce and I boiled up some pasta and tossed it with some parsley and a little bit of um, basil from uh, out back and <clears throat> the rest is history. Well since I've been researching canning and preserves this week I have an idea for you for my Christmas present. Oh great. And and that would be to can some of the marinara. Uh, uh-huh. It's really not very hard. Um, you really just have to make it and put like a teaspoon of citric acid or lemon juice in each jar and then take it to the canning process. But that's what I'd like for Christmas. Great, great. I think we can make that happen. So our topic today is pickling, preserving, and canning, and we certainly invite listeners to call in and talk to us about that. Uh, We've got Sherry Lucas coming in uh, in the third and fourth segments of the show, but it'll be you and I in the first segment and and our buddy Julian Rankin from down in Ocean Springs from Walter Anderson in the second 
uh, segment. So what are you eating out there in Colorado? Well, so far it's been a lot of tomato sandwiches. There are so many great restaurants here, and um, I had a dish that I would really like to uh, figure out how to put together. It's called Frank Truffle Kale Fried Rice. Mm. Kind of sounds like you know an Aspen thing, but it's it's black truffle, kale, shiitake mushrooms, edamame, and fried rice, and it was just a meal in itself. It's a, a restaurant called Jean in Aspen, and, and then I went to another restaurant called Mezzaluna, and uh, Patrick Lyle, a, a Mississippian, an expat Mississippian, works there. But I had a ravioli stuffed with an heirloom tomato compound on a bed of arugula. So I was a little fancy this week, but I kept the tomato sandwiches going at home. That's terrific. Now, who is Frank? Do you have any idea? Yeah, Frank is a uh, Chinese chef, and he owns this restaurant called Jing, and it just has you know, delis- delicious Asian food. Um, you know, big whole fried fish, oysters, uh, mm. sushi. It's, so, and you can eat outside. Well, we don't eat outside here in in uh, Jackson this time of year. <laughs> well, actually, some people do, but I typically eat inside. Uh, and I am going to do some cooking this week because I loaded up at the local farmers market. They have a Saturday market uh, in in town. And I am going to make um, apricot jam this week. So that's going to be my project. You know, just talking about canning has really gotten the mood. And that's where I'm going to put my, my efforts. And then I'm going to make a tomato and peach salad. The peaches out here are just glorious. And I always thought that we had a lock on peaches in the deep south, but Actually, some of the best fruits and vegetables uh, in the country come from an area called around Palisade, Colorado, which has a very unique climate. Are they apricots, peaches? Are they apricots local out there? Yes. Okay. In 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 this area called Palisade, so um, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, I'm not going to preserve my apricot jam. I'm going to make it and we'll just um, eat it this weekend. You know, that's something we can talk about with Jerry. Yeah, we'll do that, of course. Uh, Now, one other dish that uh, Kara cooked this weekend I wanted to share with you. It's also a tomato-based dish. She she got a great piece of halibut from Whole Foods, fresh, never been frozen, and brought it home. And she broiled it and made a leek and arinder tomato hash and put on top of it, which was delish. Just delish. Leek and tomato hash. We're so creative over here. I mean, Leek and tomato hash. We have so many tomatoes right now. It's now or never. And and people should be consuming them in salads. They should be uh, making marineras and tomato gravy with it. Uh, and putting them up and and uh, just enjoying this this bountiful uh, tomato late summer run that we we have here uh, in the deep well, south. I'm going to post a peach and tomato salad recipe today on the website. It is absolutely delicious. So I'm using up peaches and tomatoes. But like you said, this is such a time of abundance, and it's all going to disappear 
before we know it. And one of the best ways to keep it going, keep the taste of the summer going, of course, is to preserve what we can. So in the winter, you just go in your pantry and pull down uh, a jar of marinara sauce, and you can think about the Erringers. Yeah, and think about you and all the great food uh, that we've enjoyed together throughout the years. And we invite our listeners to share your canning and pickling and preserving and putting up. Uh, if you're interested, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. But right now we're taking a break. Uh, we're going to come back and uh, we're going to, as I said, talk to Julian Rankin, uh, who runs the Walter Anderson Museum, about a very special dinner that they have going on down there. We'll also have Sherry Lucas joining us in the studio. And that's about uh, the segment, uh, first segment for the day. And we will join you later. I'm going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Deep South Dining. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White. I'm here with Carol Puckett. Carol is in Aspen, Colorado, on the telephone uh, from a distance, as they say. If you want to join the conversation, we're happy to take your call at one eight seven seven mpb ring uh, In this segment, Carol, uh, you and I uh, sat down and talked to Julian Rankin, who is the executive director of the Walter Anderson Museum, about a big event that he's got coming up. Next Monday, uh, August the 5th, and it's a dinner. It's a special community supper uh, called Gulf to Plate, uh, and it's, it's all about using local, local seafood and local ingredients uh, a, a, as a way to sort of talk about uh, the Mississippi Sound, uh, the abundance of, of what is available down there, and what the pressures are right now with the great flooding uh, up in the Delta and, and the fresh water that has been released into uh, the sound and which has created algae and all sorts of closed beaches and uh, a real devastating blow to the oyster crop and, and other uh, species as well. Julian Rankin, as I said, is the executive director uh, of the Walter Anderson Museum. He's also the author of a great book entitled Catfish Dreams uh, about uh, a, a, an episode up in the Mississippi Delta uh, involving uh, a black catfish farmer, and it's a great read, and uh, check that out if you would. But right now we're going to get Julian on the phone, and we're going to talk a little bit about his dinner, again, that's coming up uh, Monday, August the 5th, uh, there at the Walter Anderson Museum in the Community Center. It's a, it's a really exciting event for us. It's called Gulf to Plate. So it's a, it's a fundraising dinner it's supporting our nature-based programs. But as you alluded to, we're fortunate to have two James Beard-recognized chefs from different sides of Mississippi. We have Vishwesh Bott from uh, Snack Bar in Oxford, and he's the 2019 Best Chef South from the James Beard Foundation. So he, he won that accolade, and he's collaborating with an o- Ocean Springs chef, um, Alex Perry, whose Vestige restaurant is just a few blocks from us. So those two chefs and others are coming together to, to celebrate Gulf seafood, but also to have a dialogue and to talk about why these ingredients matter and then, of course, reflect it against the, the issues, the environmental issues that are happening right now in the Gulf of Mexico and along Mississippi waters, which are making um, aquaculture and culture and economy difficult because of this freshwater inundation 
And, you know, the Walter Anderson Museum of Art is, is, as you alluded to, about Walter Anderson, but it's also about the intersections between culture and economy and the environment. And this is a way for us to, to provide a platform to talk with chefs and scientists and people who work in this industry uh, to advocate for a collaboration, because these are some issues that are, are not just temporary. These are things we have to, as a region, negotiate and, and come together to address. Well, uh, Julian, uh, this is Carol, and I I loved reading uh, Walter Anderson, some of the Walter Anderson books, and he was such a great naturalist. I mean, this is just such a natural marriage, this dinner that, you, that you're doing. I think of him you know, rowing his boat to Horn Island and, uh, you know, talking about the water and and the uh, sea life. And, and we're all very concerned about what's going on down there. Uh, I hear that the oyster reefs have been very much impacted. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, in, in our museum, there's a quote when you walk in, and it's from Walter Anderson, and he says, in order to realize the beauty of humanity, we must realize our connection to nature. And he was an artist, but he was also a naturalist, and he was a bit of a mystic as well. And the realizing the connection between all things, people and animals and, and foodways. And, um, and the oysters specifically, as you, as you mentioned, um, the off-bottom oysters have such, a, such promise in Mississippi as an industry. Right now they're suffering, but we, we're, we're confident that in time those, those will be stronger than ever. And we have some, um, some of these oyster folk um, involved. So um, Mike and Anita Arguelles, who are the, the owners of the French Hermit Oyster Company, are actually going to be present that night to, to be part of some dialogue about what they're doing, the exciting things that are happening, but also the challenges. And the chefs I know, including Alex Perry at Vestage, is just they're so excited for Mississippi oysters. And, and right now they're, they're facing some difficulties. But part of what we're doing is raising awareness about the possibilities and the promises of long-term aquaculture and, and economy here on the Gulf Coast. And, and part, of, part of this dinner is about showcasing what, what will be possible once we can come together and, and get some of these some of these environmental issues dealt with. But, but Walter Anderson is, is again, the, the ignition point, the portal for us to go through to talk about all these things because his legacy lives on in contemporary life, and, and we're, we're leveraging that to, to bring people together in a way that's edifying and, and around a common table. Oh, that's wonderful. And you have two great chefs uh, cooking for you that night. And uh, I'd like to know what's on the menu. Yeah, I thought that might be a question coming, and <laughs> some of it, some of it's going to be a little bit of a surprise for folks, um, a secret, if you will. But there, there's going to be a, a number of things. I mean, there'll be some of the things that you come to know and love, you know, shrimp and crab and speckled trout and redfish. Mm. Um, and they're also going to be going to be looking for some ingredients that that maybe aren't used as much, but that we can we can showcase. And, and this whole event is actually, you know, it, it's made possible in partnership with Mississippi Gulf Fresh Seafood and. And they're really important partners. They help with the oyster industry, and they help with uh, with so many of the, the charter captains and the fishing that happens down there. And I think it's important to say, because people will ask and, and should, that because of the issues in the Gulf, not all areas of the Gulf are, are safe to just wade into and, and grab something out of the ocean and eat. Um, but the reason that we're doing this with chefs who know what they're doing is because they'll, of course, be safely sourcing this from, from offshore waters where there aren't. Um, they aren't being affected, but it's also about education to say that, you know, it's not 
Um, the, the issues in the Gulf don't mean that there's no fish that can be eaten. There, there's plenty of industry still here and still functioning, but it, it's a way, again, through food to, to talk about why we need to come together and to, to demystify some of the, the, the fears, but also to recognize that there are some real challenges that if we, if we are working in collaboration, we can certainly overcome. So the dinner billed as Gulf to Plate Community Dinner uh, is open to the public. Is that correct? It is. It is open to the public. There is a ticket price because it is a fundraising dinner for the museum. You know, we have a whole um, host of programs and, and directions, strategic directions that is about not just art, but about conservation and ecology and, and celebrating what that means. So this this fundraising dinner is helping support. Uh, those endeavors in the future and you know, we just had a had a wonderful artist in residency program where we took students from moss point out to horn island to find materials to make sculpture with so we're we're constantly going beyond the museum walls and these types of fundraisers um, allow us to do those things and, and really pay homage to the to the place uh, that, that we exist in where we're anchored so the event, which is both a dinner and a conversation, will take place uh, in the community theater uh, next next to the Walter Anderson Museum? Correct. It's, it's Monday, August 5th at 6 o'clock, and it's in the community center and in the museum. They're, they're adjoined, so we'll be uh, throughout those both those spaces. And in between courses and, and during the cocktail hour, we'll have various moments of dialogue and roundtable discussion where we'll hear from experts, hear from the chefs about the exciting menu items that, that I know y'all will be excited to, to see, these secret things that we keep teasing. The so secret the ingredient. <laughs> we are always looking yeah. for the secret ingredient on Deep South well, Dining. Yeah, you know, they, they, they call the coast, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, the secret coast. Now. Right. So that's, that's, actually, the, that's the that's new brand. I like that it. Is. I mean, secret uh, coast. yeah, Florida is the forgotten coast, and mm. we're the secret coast. Right. I would, I would rather be a secret than forgotten. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we never forget. We here. never well, forget. We do have a lot, a lot to showcase. Well, how do people get tickets for the event? So everything is through the Walter Anderson Museum of Art website, which is walteranderson.museum.org. And there you can see all the partners and people who will be speaking as part of the conversation. And, and uh, we'll probably be teasing some things uh, as we get in the days uh, before the event, if there's any special special guests that haven't been named yet. And uh, so that you can get tickets right through the website. And, and uh, that's the easiest way to do it. So you, you're working with a lot of partners to make this event possible. I, I noticed in your press release you're working with the Mississippi Gulf Fresh Seafood Organization, with snack bar and vestige, of course, because both chefs are represented by those establishments, but also Cathead Distillery, Fort Bio Wine and Spirits, and what on earth is food, booze, and hiccups? It's an evocative name, that's for sure. And and it's some local, another local chef, uh, Michael Pauletti, and his wife Stephanie actually also runs a company called Sweet Enchantment Cakes. And so both of them are going to be uh, providing support for the chefs and and helping uh, pull this off, it's, it's quite an endeavor. You know, we're we're uh, we're using the community center because of its backdrop, and uh, we're we're going to have a whole lot of people, family style, in there, and and we're creating a whole kitchen outdoors to, to facilitate all of this. So it's really been we're we're honored to be a part with partner with so many of these folks, but they're coming together to pull off logistically a really great evening, and and we wouldn't be able to do this type of stuff without really excited people who who are passionate about the work they do. 
I want to hear more about the nature programs that this is going to support and what age uh, young people that they serve. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things to name. I would say generally, you know, we have some of our community partners. A good way to think about this is, is through the USM Marine Education Center, the Pascagoula River Audubon Center. You know, we have really strong partnerships with them, and we're developing new programs as we speak. Uh, to bring students down and to think about the intersections, the interdisciplinary connections between art and science and storytelling and culture so that people aren't just seeing one aspect of the world, but they're able to expand their minds and see the, the, the whole environment in its totality and, and draw more meaning from that. So some of the things we do that I mentioned earlier is, is we go out to Horn Island and we go out to landscapes to the National Estuarine Research Reserve over in Grand Bay, and we think about what, what the art that's on our walls, how that resonates in, in contemporary landscapes. And so we do a lot of work. We do early childhood education work in this vein. Uh, we just did a, a great project with middle and high school students. But we also do things with adults. And so we, we have a, an ambitious uh, new project on the horizon, which is a, a construction project developing a an, an whole creative complex that will house these programs in perpetuity. But some folks like John Rusky, who was Paul Paul Canoe Company, he he and I and some folks. He's up in Clarksdale, right? Island. He is, yeah. And we, we took a 29-foot Voyager canoe out to Horn Island, and we canoed and camped for six days. And most museums, I might not have to tell you, but most museums don't canoe out to Barrier Island in the wilderness. <laughs> but, we just um, go down the Pearl we, River around here. That's right. And, and yeah. I mean, you had to do it to emulate Walter Anderson. And, and how did that feel to canoe to Horn Island? It's quite a trip, I bet. It was. And, you know, when, when you get really tired in the canoe and you're, the, the, the lactic acid is built up in your muscles, you have to remember back to, to the Horn Island logs where Walter Anderson would write about his, his going even further, 30, 40, 50 miles out to the Chandelier Islands before he started going to Horn in the 1940s. And then you get a little new perspective and you get some new reserves of strength and you make it out there. But the transition to the island when you're going by canoe is, is a whole different thing. And it does open up uh, your perspective and you get to see the sea life, in fact. And being out there when you're on Horn Island on the Gulf side, on the south side of the island and the blue crab are all in the tidal pools and they're just right there in their natural habitat. And you know that, A, these are very important pieces of the ecosystem, but also that these are important pieces of the economy and aquaculture. And, um, and to, to tie it back into the, the reason we're doing a, a food um, event like this, a dinner like this, is because humans and, and nature interact in so many ways. And if we don't understand the implications of how we how we live with the earth, then we will continue to run up against uh, damaging consequences and potential issues. But if we can come together and and have a little bit more perspective about all of that, then I think we'll all be in a better place, and we can see the beauty that surrounds us and and Mississippi for for all the the glorious uh, things it can offer us. Well, Julian, I have to ask this question after reading the Horn Island logs. Uh, Walter Anderson survived on. On canned food, he took you know some cans of food, and the labels would come off, and he wouldn't know, you know what what he was, <laughs> you know what he was Mystery eating can. out there. So, since since you have you and John Rusky have have made this trip, tell us how you ate on the island. You know, well, first of all, I will say we, we've we've toyed with an idea of having a canned food dinner. This is not that dinner. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but to, to think about how Walter ate. 
But when, when we were out there, you know, John Rusky is an expert uh, at what he does, and he actually brought far more than I expected. We had a whole kitchen set up on the beach and all kinds of fresh ingredients. Some things, of course, you know, tuna fish and so forth that we could we could travel easily with. But we had pineapples and, and avocados and bananas and a lot of fruit. And, and so we ate pretty well the, the last evening of our trip. John Rusky made a really amazing spaghetti squ- uh, spaghetti squash dish with Parmesan cheese, and we watched the the cosmos unfurl before us on the west tip of Horn Island before we went home, and a rocket took off from Stennis Space Center, oh, and it was really uh, quite an amazing crescendo to the trip. Well, it uh, sounds a lot better than than eating beans out of cans. Yeah, that's that's. And, a, and also, I, I know Walter had some some problems because like raccoons got into his supply. So it sounds like you were well prepared. We are. All the raccoons and the chickens and the cats that live in Ocean Springs will be kept away from, from the dinner. <laughs> Again, we're talking to Julian Rankin, who is the executive director of the Walter Anderson Museum of Art in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. He's also the author of Catfish Dreams. Julian, how's the book doing these days? It's doing great. You know, uh, this is with the Southern Foodways Alliance, the series they do with and publish with University of Georgia Press. And so... You know, it's another connection to the land and to food. And I'll just shout out for our friends at Thacker Mountain Radio. They do an annual uh, Ocean Springs uh, event down here, record a show down here, and that happens on August 24th on a Saturday, and I'll be part of that program reading from Catfish Dream. So it's uh, it's all coming full circle, and Ocean Springs is the, the epicenter, at least for now, of, of some really important food conversations. That sounds great, and and we actually talked about catfish dreams. We had uh, Katie Simmons Prosser on the show a few weeks ago, and and actually talked about your book and about Ed Scott. Did, yeah. Well, she 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 let me wander through uh, the, the the process and plant. You know, the, the the story I wrote about the process and plant was no longer open, but Simmons Catfish let me go in and, and see how they worked and. It's something to behold, I'll tell you that. Again, we're visiting with Julian Rankin. We want to thank you for your time today. For everybody uh, listening to Deep South Dining, you are invited to go to the Mississippi Gulf Coast to join the Gulf to Plate Community Dinner celebrating coastal seafood uh, at the Walter Anderson Museum on Monday, August the 5th, 6 p.m., a dinner, an evening, a conversation about local seafood, about aquaculture, about the environment, all hosted at the historic and artful Walter Anderson Museum and Community Center right in the heart of historic Ocean Springs. Thanks a lot, Julian. All right, it's time for a break. And we come back, we're going to have our buddy Sherry Lucas here to talk about pickling and canning and preserving and the orchard work that she does. She segued from journalist to gardener to orchard worker to canning and preserving if you want to join in the conversation one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or shoot us an email to food at mpbonline.org stay tuned sherry lucas carol puckett and i will be right back mpbonline.org is the destination for everything Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Catch up on past shows from Think Radio, check out MPB TV or Music Radio, and become a sustaining member all from one place. Get connected now at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett via Skype 
from Aspen, Colorado. Also joining us now, Sherry Lucas is in the studio. Sherry, thank you so much for coming around and joining in the fun. Glad to be here, Malcolm. We're going to take just a second before we delve into Sherry and what's going on with her, and we're going to take our caller, Sue, from Beaumont. Hey, Sue, I'm glad you called back. What's going on? Hi. Hope it's not too far off subject, but I have a cup of eggplant, and I'm I'm dying to make some eggplant parm. But I don't I don't remember exactly. I know you fry the eggplant. But how, what's a quick way to make eggplant parm, John? This is how I would make it. I would peel the eggplant, slice it into uh, pieces that you can fry in a skillet. I would batter it with egg, a little milk, and your favorite coating, whether it's flour or seasoned breadcrumbs or whatever you want to uh, coat it in. Uh, fry that up. Get yourself a uh, baking dish. And do layers of fried eggplant, marinara, cheese, repeat, repeat, top with uh, some sort of nice crust. Pick your own. I like the Italian seasoned breadcrumbs. And then just pop that thing in the oven and, and bake it off until it's bubbly and delicious and it tastes like Italy. And don't forget the Parmesan cheese on top. On top. Thank you, Carol. You've got to have some mozzarella and some Parmesan cheese on top. It's a requirement. That's right. And there you have it, live from Aspen. All right, Sue, I hope that helps with the eggplant. I love the eggplant. Uh, It's a misunderstood vegetable. But we're coming back to the studio now. And, again, uh, we are so happy to have our great friend Sherry Lucas here, who has made her indelible mark as a journalist, a food writer, food lover, great cook and great supporter of culture uh, from one end of the state to the other. Uh, Welcome, Sherry Lucas. Thanks. Well, Sherry, um, I welcome you, too, and I couldn't help but think about you when we were planning this show of preserving and saving things for the winter because I know that not only are you always on top of the latest trends, but you are doing some doing some small uh, small batch canning and preserving. So yes. let's hear about it. Well, sometimes it doesn't seem so small when you've got a vat of boiling water on your stove in the middle of the summer. But um, <laughs> you know, but it was interesting. I see that small batch here is is defined as ten jars or less, and ten would just make me go out of my mind. But You're smaller than that. <laughs> maybe that's the reason. But. Um, but my boyfriend has about 20 acres in Summit, and some years back, um, I thought it would be fun to plant some fruit trees, <laughs> but he already had about at least three to four mature pear trees on the property already, so I have been um, scrambling every summer to keep ahead of the pear harvest when it comes in, so a lot of my stuff is pear-based. <laughs> so what, what other trees did you plant? Oh, gosh, all the peas, like um, plum, peach, uh, pawpaw, which hasn't fruited yet. Those are slow Mm. growers. How Um, old are are your trees? Different ages? Different ages, Mm -hmm. you know, just as we we can put them in. And we've got apple and blueberry and fig and pomegranate and uh, probably some others that I forgot to name. (laughs) How how long does it take one of your trees to mature to begin to bear fruit? Are they different with every tree? Let's see. We've been dating uh, more than 10 years, and one of the pears, one of the young pears, has finally decided to get with the program. Okay. And uh, the peaches and the pear and the plums came through last year. So, you know, within that time frame. 
Wow. Yeah, so keep up the good work on the relationship. I mean, that's a very significant. <laughs> I know. I need access to the, to the grove. <laughs> yeah. And what do you call so them, you the orchard? With, uh, uh, well, I've, I've taken a call in at Randary Acres. Randary. Yeah, because okay. I put a lot of work in there. <laughs> I got you. I'm sorry, Carol. I like that. Well, I was just asking, do you go out and pick them yourselves? Is this Absolutely. what you do on the weekends for fun? Yes, yes. I love That's my favorite part as a harvest. I love Martha Foose once. Um, I asked her what her favorite season was, and she said harvest. And I was like, yeah, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you get out there. And <laughs> oh, I get out there, Harvest yeah. and then. Yeah, I have a harvest apron, which is, is hilarious. It, you know, it like you, you put it all in the top, and then you rip the Velcro off, and it just Really? Yeah. yeah. Professional so think, uniform. Well, nobody's paying me, but <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of fruit. So you know. So are you on a ladder? Are you climbing? Uh, sometimes I've got a, I've got a couple of fruit pickers. So uh, those are not people. Those are poles with a little grabby thing on them. Because Randall shakes the tree sometimes, and they fall off, and then they bruise. So I have to keep him from doing that. So. Randall shaking the tree. <laughs> What's wrong with that boy? So you know it's interesting. Think, to, go ahead, Carol. Well, I was going well, to say I think there was a song about that. About sure do love your peaches, want to shake your tree. Oh, Is that God. right? <laughs> I believe you're right, Carol. We'll have to get that one and play it next week. That's another That's topic. <laughs> so you know. Sherry and I, we go way back, as does Carol as well. But, you know, I was thinking back in the day, you and I would would gather around Jubilee Jam, and now we're gathering around Fig and Pear Jam. So (laughs) we're still jamming, y'all. All All right. (laughs) Sounds good. So, uh, Carol, you're not here, but I'll I'll just let you know so you can be jealous. Sherry brought both Java and I a, a nice jar of Fig and Pear Jam. You want to tell us a little bit about I, let me just say, I'm jealous, but I know Sherry and the kind of gal she is, and I know she's saving some for me. I am saving some for you, as well as some other things I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've got, I'm going to make some some pear honey. I can't remember the, it's either pear honey jam or pear honey butter. I haven't made it before, but that's going to be my new thing this week. What about this fig and pear? Tell us the listeners I, can't see the jar, but Java and well, I can see I, the jar. Tell I us what's really in here. I really love it's. You know that made um, not very not very much. It was about uh, came about seven or eight of those small four ounce jars, and it was just two cups of chopped figs, two cups of chopped pears, some some pectin, um, mm-hmm. and I think some maybe a little bit of lemon juice and. You know, the the figs and the pears were ripe at the same time or getting there on the pears. They're coming in right now. Right. So I was down in Summit and whooped that up. Do you have a kitchen uh, adjacent to the orchard, or do you have to bring them back well, to yeah, Jackson? Well, yeah, Randall's, uh, the house he grew up in is there. So, oh, okay. So okay. I, I guarded all my canning stuff down there. and. and so this is a Summit motion. Enterprise. Well, it's Summit and Jackson. Uh-huh. The fruit is down there, so sometimes it makes the trip back and forth. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Malcolm, I wanted to weigh in for the listeners on um, really, you know, canning is nothing to be fearful of. I think we've all had fear of canning. It seems like such a mysterious process. But there's some must-have tools that you need if you want to do this. 
And uh, Sherry, you can weigh in on this too, but you've got to have a stock pot or a canning pot and you have to have a rack for the bottom of the pot so that the uh, product that you're canning will not will at least be raised off the bottom of the pot. Uh, you have to have a pan to cook your product in, whether it's you know fig preserves or you know blueberries or peaches, and that pan has to be non-reactive. And uh, so stainless steel would be good, uh, an enameled cast iron. But whatever you do, do not cook in aluminum or regular cast iron because it's going to interact with the food. Um, you need a cutting board and a knife. You need jars with lids. And the, the real key to success, I think, is a wide mouth funnel. And you can get these at grocery stores, uh, big box stores like Walmart, of course, the Everyday Gourmet. But the wide mouth funnel actually helps put the product in the jar and not have it drip around on the edges because it's really important to keep the edges of the jar uh, as, as clean as you can. And then the last thing would be a jar lifter, which is a handy little device. It's a kind of tong device that helps you pick up the jars out of the boiling water. So, Sherry, would would you uh, agree with me on that? Do you have anything Absolutely. else? Absolutely. No, yours? The, the jar lifter will will keep your hands safe. <laughs> and I saw you nodding about the... Well, because I I tried to, I made some blueberry uh, Earl Grey jam earlier mm-hmm. this year, and I could I tore up the kitchen. I could not find my jar lifter, so I was using a pair of tongs, and yeah, not I, I got a little bit of a burn. Mm. <laughs> what were I got you making? The jam made uh, blueberry Earl Grey tea. Yeah, blueberry Earl Grey jam. So you mix tea with with yeah, the fruit. Yeah, you throw five tea bags in there, and it's an absolute mess to get them out. But <laughs> what if they break? Uh, well, then I guess you have a lot of dried leaves in your jam. Yeah. We, but, my but grandmother they, used they to call them together. fishes. They held she'd together. make tea, and if any of the little tea uh, leaves broke loose, she'd say, don't worry about them. They're just fishes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I love the flavor combination. I made some of that last year, too. That's great. So what's next? Sherry, where do you get your recipes? I Google a lot, and I have a lot of books. <laughs> and that that's a point I wanted to make with our listeners, too, is when you are doing home canning, always use a tested recipe. This is not the time to freelance or improvise because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of science to it. So it's, it's better to, you know, go to a, a website to go to ball canning has a great website that has tons and tons of recipes. Um, there's the national center for home preserving and there's some people with some great blogs and one of my favorite is called food in jars hmm. by a woman named Marissa McClellan. And then of course our uh, Mississippi extension service. All right. Well, we're going to take a break and come back and talk more about preserving and pickling and canning. Our guest is Sherry Lucas. Carol's out in Aspen. I'm right here in Jackson, Mississippi at MPB Think Radio. We'll take some calls. We'll talk about this process and that Carol described uh, cooking is an art. Preserving, canning, and baking are a science. And with that, we'll 
Take a break. Come back. You're listening to Deep South Dining. Give us a call if you're interested in joining the conversation. Otherwise, we'll look forward to talking to you when we get back on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. author mary miller check out my podcast on right on mississippi at mpbonline.org welcome back to deep south dining i'm malcolm white with carol puckett and in the studio sherry lucas welcome back sherry thanks malcolm sherry said she not only does pickling and preserving but she also was saying that she dehydrates, and, and I said, well, do you need some more water? And she said, no, the fruit. <laughs> I thought maybe she was uh, having a moment there. I was there. being parched over parched here. Parched no, this... no, 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 no. <laughs> All right, before we delve back into Sherry's world, we're going to go to the phone and take a call from Covington, Louisiana, and Polly. Hey, Polly, what's happening? Hey, I'm loving your show. Well, thank you. And I was just wondering if your guest there has ever made pear chutney. I have. There was there was one year I I feel like I made about five different five or six different recipes and pear chutney was among them. How did you make uh, it? And I I used uh, a book I found in my mother's um when I was cleaning out my mother's house that said canning and preserving and I found a lot of pear recipes in there. Oh. Well, I make a great pear chutney, but I hadn't made it in years because I can't get those good hard pears that you know that you really have to have a, your own tree. Yes, I have three those. of those trees. Yes. <laughs> I, I would have people call and beg me for a jar. It was so good, and my mother and I would have uh, on Sunday nights we'd have cold meat. Cheese and chutney. Just oh, that. that sounds fantastic! Oh my goodness, oh, that sounds so, wonderful. It are, was you're, so good. You're talking about the trees that they. I think they call them canning pears, where they're kind yeah, of green, yeah. yellow green, right. and yes. hard. Yes, and hard. Uh-huh. yes. I have oh, those. Man. Well, my, my and they're really coming in this year too. It's a good oh, year for them. Oh, good. Well, I just wanted to pass that along. Make that pear chutney. Okay. Yes, ma'am. I will do it. <laughs> As Polly from Covington, Louisiana, talking about pear chutney, maybe we can get a recipe. Carol, what do you think? Well, that's right. I was hoping that Sherry would share a couple of recipes with us so we could post them on the website. And I will in do return, that. I will share my recipe with Sherry for pear ginger preserves. Ooh. I would love, I'd love to. Of, of, yeah, I'd love to ginger. get that. It, it goes with pears. But, I'm going to find know, out the, Polly's uh, recipe for the pear chutney <laughs> and I, see how it compares with too. the one I've been using. And I, I was just thinking about her meal. She talked about having bread and cheese and chutney, and that's what they call um, a, a plowman's lunch in England. And you can go to pubs and order that lunch, and it's absolutely delicious. I was thinking that a lot of my, um, a lot of the recipes that I gravitate towards seem to be more what I call the. 5 p.m. jam and not the 8 a.m. jam, <laughs> like fig uh, <laughs> and um, fig balsamic jam, and I made a fig pear and port wine jam. Uh, you know, some of these jams and jellies that pair kind of better with uh, with cheese than they do with toast. But you know, they're all good. They 
<laughs> they're all pretty they have versatile. Their place. Well, Each one has but, its place. Well, That's the, right. Uh, the, the jams you're talking about, the 5 p.m. jams, which I love, also go great as condiments with meat. And yes. I would love to try some of that a pear chutney she's talking about on pork. I think it would be delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to try to get that recipe. And then, of course, we're going to try to get a, a few of Sherry's recipes to post on our website. Carol, okay. yeah, there's we'll a work on that. Pear Star Anise one that I like a whole lot, too, that pairs well with the hard cheese, hard cheddar. That sounds great. And, y'all, I was doing research before the show, and I have always wondered, wondered why we call it canning, but you actually do it. <laughs> In a jar. It's jarring. It's called called jarring. And and here's the deal. Really, modern modern canning or preserving started in the 1700s when Napoleon was looking for a way to dependably preserve food for his troops. And so he offered a cash prize. And a chef named Nicholas Appere came up with the method, the actual method we use today, of packing it, sealing it, heating it. And, uh, of course, he won the prize. And because jars were so expensive and they were very hard to ship, they started using what they call canisters. And the shorthand for canisters was cans. So, hey, that's that's why we can in jars. Oh, thank you for that. Wow. Who knew? Now, let's talk a little bit, Sherry, about your dehydrating. What's that process like? Well, I have a dehydrator. They also um, scammed from my mom's house. Um, I think she probably got it oh, <laughs> more than 30 years ago. I, wow. Yeah, it's it's way old, but um, it still works. And I use the dried fruit in um, homemade granola. Really? So you, you dehydrate mix. your own fruit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I peeled and cored and sliced 20 pears last night. Good for you. So I guess you never are stumped about what gift to give. You just open the pantry, pick out a jar, and, and, and are all of yours in jars? Is everything you do in jars? you do any yes. freezing? It's all. I, well, sometimes I, I got nervous about the dehydrating, that maybe it wasn't dry enough. Right. And um, sometimes I dehydrate and stick in the freezer if I'm concerned gotcha. or if I'm not going to use it. But you That's must have not... quite an elaborate pantry of these uh, creations of yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of all flavors. There's a lot of variety in there, yeah. I bet, I bet. All right, we got a caller uh, from Ashland, Mississippi. we got Jerry on the phone. What's going on, Jerry? Hey, Scott, thanks for having the show. I appreciate you. I support you every month. Man, I appreciate you. Uh, I can almost everything I grow, and I'm picking where I even can my deer meat and, and things like that. Wow. Well... You, know, you wouldn't think you could, but the the two best sites for canning, and you mentioned one was Ball, and the other one was USA USDA.gov, and you can actually can anything you want if you have a pressure cooker canner, not just a boiling water canner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is really a nice hobby to get into because I make kimchi, I make sauerkraut. Oh, that's you know, awesome! Jellies and stuff, and it, it's just you can almost be. Self-sustaining if you got just a, like a 60-foot by 60-foot garden and, and a, a, a boiling water canner and a, you know, an outside grill with a, with a, uh, a burner on it. It really is nice. And I've had deer meat um, for two or three years before I've eaten it. It's just fine. Well, man, that's fascinating, Jerry. Thanks for the call. We had a little bit of crackling and popping going on the line there. We weren't able to hear you too clearly. 
But uh, we appreciate the call. And now we're going to go to Benton, uh, to John. Hey, John, you're talking about pickling. What's happening? Yeah, my favorite thing in a jar is pickled beets. And I have no clue how to make them, but I sure would like to know. Pickled beets. You know, pickled beets <laughs> pickle beets are one of those things that, uh, as a child, that you sort of dreaded seeing them on the table. Um, but I learned to love them. Uh, and and I, Sherry, do you fool with the beet? I don't because I'm not growing them. I've, I have to stay ahead of the fruit. Yeah, you, you just put up what you grow, right? Right. Carol, what do you know about uh, putting up beets? You got anything? Uh, not really, except that Southerners, you know, we are real partial to pickled vegetables. And mm-hmm. we love pickled okra, pickled beets, pickled squash, and pickled cucumbers. But um, yeah, let Car- me give it a try. Yeah, Carol, well, don't you think ahead. you could do like a, a quick pickling on that? Um, I think you can just you know, would... with pickling, pickling salts mm-hmm. and... And vinegar and Malcolm, I know that you actually make pickles, so I bet the process isn't too different. Right, that's what I was thinking. Um, I, I make what I call refrigerator pickles. I just keep several jars, uh, of brine and vinegar, and herbs and spices and garlic going all the time, and I, I put different vegetables in there. Currently, I have all cucumbers because there's so many, uh, but I love the little pickling cucumbers. Uh, and I also like these little, I uh, forget what they're called, they're little bitty things that I've been buying at the farmer's market. They're, they're sort of an heirloom, uh, and I cut them up and, and pickle those. And, you know, it only takes two days <clears throat> in my mixture in the refrigerator, and you got a nice flavor. Do you you do cucumbers and pickles? I, I pickled chanterelle mushrooms one time. Wow. What was that like? <laughs> Well, it was uh, it was just like canning, and I followed a recipe, and, and then I was flummoxed on what to do with them, and I put them on a grilled cheese sandwich once. But I just had a – it was a good year for chanterelles. So yeah, I, you tried everything. Yeah. Sounds delicious. I, it was hard and, to stay ahead of them. And back to our caller on beets, I will post a, a recipe for pickle beets. Okay. Well, that about does it, Sherry. Thanks so much for coming in. We're Thanks. really sorry. Fun. We had a couple of callers, Kathleen from Osaka and a couple others who called, and we were not able to get to you. Our, our regrets. We'll talk to you next week, we hope, because we'll be here next week. Every, every Monday we're here from 9 o'clock in the morning for Deep South Dining, talking about uh, food, southern food, southern, southern culture, and the flavors that make up the Deep South. Next is Marshall Ramsey, and Now You're Talking, followed by Southern Remedy. That's about it for Deep South Dining. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next Monday, 9 a.m., right here on MPB Think Radio.